0: Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church Podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor Podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now let's get into the word. Your love say oh yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. Just had a check. Good to see all you guys here today. So, listen today. Uh, I actually want to. I want to preach a message to you that uh, has dramatically changed and continues to change uh, my life. And I want to start off by telling you a story that happened pretty much 20 years ago. So, let's pray and and we'll jump in. Jesus, I thank you for every person that's here. God, I pray that you would speak loud and clear, Father. If there's anything that we're carrying today, old mindsets, God. If there's just perceptions of ourselves, things, God, that just don't belong. Lord, we ask that they would fall off in Jesus' name. Father, we ask that you would come uproot anything that's not of you and that you would deposit and you would plant what is of you so we can flourish in this life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So listen, about 20 years ago, I was in a uh, Sunday evening service that morphed into one of those good old-fashioned prayer meetings. So what happened was, as we began to worship God, and and as we worship, God's presence fell in the room. And instead of the pastor preaching, uh, he actually turned to a few of us and said, Look, I I want you guys to go and lead the congregation in prayer. And so I went up to the platform and I prayed what he asked me to pray for. And then I went to go uh, grab a seat. And while I just sat in my seat, I continued to pray in the Spirit. And, and while I was praying, I heard the Lord speak to me as clearly as I am talking to you right now. And here's what he said. He said, Quentin, love God, love people, and love yourself, and then receive love from all three. Now, listen, as, as elementary as that might sound... I want you to know it captured my heart. And as I sat there, I thought about how I was doing my best. I was a young Christian, I was, but I was doing my best to serve God. And then I had to, uh, you know, be honest about my constant struggle to really love people. Like I thought about, sure, you know, there was, there was people that I generally, you know, cared about. But, but how many of you guys know that people, that's a pretty broad term. Yes. And so I I had to admit that, you know, like there's a whole lot of people in the world and I and I don't even really like them, much less love them the way Jesus wants me to. Right. And, And then there was that third thing that he mentioned when he said, love yourself. I was like, God, that's awkward. I like, is that sinful? Like, I didn't even know what to do with that. And then he then he had to go and he said that last part. He said and receive somebody say receive. He said receive love from all three. Now, like I've expressed to you in the past, at that time, I wasn't even sure if God loved me. So so I thought, man, if, if I can't, you know, receive love from a, a perfect God, what makes me think I'm going to receive love from a bunch of imperfect people? Like what, what like... How do they even love me, right? If he can't love me, then how can they love me? And then I thought about that last part once again where he said, you know, love yourself. I'm thinking, God, you got a lot of audacity to ask me to do that, right? And in my head, I'm thinking, you know, what am I supposed to do? Start off every day and look in the mirror and go, Quentin, I love you. (laughs) Like... Like, like, How weird is that, right? I'm, I'm just like, Jesus, that's strange. But, but, but how many of you know that a lot of times when God speaks to you, it doesn't really make sense in the moment, the natural. But, but I knew it was him, and I knew he was pointing me in the direction of change. And so I, I did what I do. Anytime God speaks to me, I began to pray. And I began to ask him to help me to, to love him, to love others, and to love myself. And then I prayed, God, will you please help me receive love from you? receive love from other people, and when you help me receive love for myself, whatever that means. Right, and as, as the weeks went by, he began to open my eyes to see things that I'd never seen before. In fact, the first passage that he allowed me to see in a new way was a very familiar passage. It's Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. We're going to read 34 through 40. I'm sure most of you have read it before. It says this, says, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And it says in verse 39, it says the second is equally important. Somebody say equally important. It says, love your neighbor, love others as yourself. This is the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, I think most of us understand that through this passage, Jesus is making it really clear that there's no commandment greater than loving him and loving others. Like, this means that as seriously as God takes his other commandments, commandments like don't lie, don't commit adultery, right, don't steal, don't murder, so on, that, that he considers these two commandments, to love him and to love others, as the most important. Now, like most of us in this room, I understood that, even from, you know, uh, being the you know, early age as a Christian. But, but here's what I completely whiffed on, is that Jesus was not only saying there, but he was commanding me, To love my neighbor as myself. That this clearly meant that if I was going to love others as he commanded me to, then I was going to have to learn how to love me first. See, the only way I know how to kind of maybe put this in analogy so we can all understand is, is you know, when you're, when you're sitting on an airplane before a takeoff, the flight attendant, you know, grabs that mic, right, grabs the mic, and it says, uh, in, in the case of sudden, you know, change in cabin pressure, an oxygen mask will, will fall from a compartment above, place the mask over your nose and your mouth, right, pull the strings tight, right, and breathe normally, like you can do that in that moment, right? <laughs> And, and then they say this next part, they say, if you are traveling with someone in need of assistance, make sure your mask is on first before helping the other person, right? And in other words, what they're saying is this, y'all please hear this, that if you're not getting your oxygen, then you aren't going to be conscious long enough to help somebody else. So I think that same train of thought can apply to loving our neighbor. That if we're not able to receive the oxygen, if you will, of love, then how will we be able to help someone else? The answer is pretty simple. We can't. Because you and I don't have the ability to help people or to give something to people that we don't already have ourselves. Now, here's what's interesting. At that time, I thought this. I thought that the trick to loving others more was to simply love God more. That if I could somehow pray enough, read my bible enough, memorize enough scripture, worship hard enough, witness more, right? If I could deny myself more, then it would, you know, magically change how I felt about other people. Anybody ever thought that? Listen, it wasn't until God opened my eyes to that verse that I realized what largely determined how I felt about others wasn't how I felt about God. Rather, it was how I felt about myself. That if I didn't like me, there was no way I was going to like anybody else. See, and from there, what happened was I continued to pray. God continued to open up other scriptures, and they begin to fall like dominoes. Let me read a few other verses to you that begin to fall into place. 1 John 3 says this. says, so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not love other believers does not belong to God. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Fast forward three verses. We know that we have passed from death to life, or we know that we've been born again because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Go to chapter 4, verse 7, 8. says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Then it says in verse 20, it says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. See, gang, when I lent that point, I started like, uh-oh. Like, Jesus sees this a whole lot more serious than I do. Right? And I begin to see how intricately connected that the giving and the receiving of love in those three areas really was. In other words, it's this, like if you take what we just read, like if I don't love myself, then I can't love others. And if I don't love others, he's saying I don't love him. Now, to understand that there's this cyclical thing that's at work here because we all understand that it's impossible to love people unless you're connected to him, who is love, right? The love of God's been shed abroad in our heart, so love comes from him. It's You know, he is love. And so he deposits in our heart, which helps us love people and ultimately love ourselves. It all works together, and that's what I saw, that I'm like, man, that all this is undeniably connected, and if it's going to work in my life and these areas that he's talking about, then i got to grab all of them and not just one of them. See, that's when it hit me, and I want to focus on one area of this today, but when it, that's when it hit me that when he said, Quentin, love God, love people, love yourself, and receive love from all three, as foreign as the idea was, I realized that God himself was inviting me to come love myself. So I'm being clear here because I know we live in an age where that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Don't misunderstand me. He was not inviting me, nor does he invite you, to love ourselves in a very narcissistic way. Right? And so I'm going to give you a few things because this is narcissistic behavior. And so if it's in us, it's got to go. Okay? So listen, God wasn't saying that, you know, okay, look, you can have an exaggerated opinion of yourself and think you're better than everybody else. He wasn't saying that you can live with a sense of entitlement as if everyone owes you something. He was saying that, look, it's okay for you to have a lack of empathy, you know, for the needs and the feelings of others because you want everybody to notice you. He wasn't saying, look, you know, you have to be admired so everyone needs to tell you how wonderful you are. Right? Or or that you deserve special treatment because you think in your head that you deserve the perfect life. He wasn't saying, you know, I'm going to allow you, Quentin, to make, to make your achievements and your talents to seem bigger than they really are. He wasn't going to expect everyone to say yes to me without question because I had a hard time hearing no, right? He wasn't going to allow me or you to manipulate or take advantage of people so we could get what we want. And he's not okay with us being, you know, overly sensitive, defensive, impatient, and angry when we don't get our way. And he wasn't inviting me to fall apart or withdraw when people were critical of me. And lastly, he wasn't saying, look, you, you, it's okay to refuse your responsibility for your sin because obviously it's not your fault. You know, that happened to you when you were a kid. Am I making sense? Yeah. See, God wasn't inviting me and he is not inviting you into any of that kind of behavior, okay? in In fact, it's... If you look at the Bible, the Apostle Paul actually condemns that kind of behavior when he said this, talking about the last days. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said this. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Why will there be difficult times? For people will only love themselves. That's what we just talked about. For people are going to have those traits that we just talked about. Then he says this, and they're going to love their money. says, they'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. And watch this part. It says, they will act religious. Meaning, we're going to see people like that in the church. It says, but they will reject the power that could make them godly, that could change them. Right? And it says stay away from people like that. Great place to say amen. Unless he's talking about you, then you say, uh oh. <laughs> Listen, the bottom line is is we know that when, when God invites us to love ourselves, he, he doesn't want us to love ourselves in that way. Why? Because it violates the two commandments. That when we act like that, we not only deceive ourselves into thinking that we're better and more important than everyone else around us, but we're actually becoming a God to ourselves because we are, we're we're basically wanting everybody by our actions, by our words, to, to come and worship and serve us. Like, how many of you guys know that anytime we elevate ourselves above God and above others, it's sin? Yeah. Right? So, listen, if that's not what God was inviting me into, is what he's not inviting you into, then, then what's he inviting us into? The answer is really, really simple. He's inviting us to come and to see ourselves like he sees us. Listen, I can tell you from experience, and I've been hammering on this a little bit lately, but when we constantly see ourselves through the lens of, of what we talked about last week, our past our problems, and our performance, man, at that moment, if we're operating from those three things, we're opening up the door for feelings of unworthiness, the feelings of self-condemnation, and the feelings of self-hate to come on in and sit at the dinner table with us, right? And so I just think this, that if, if God doesn't want us to look at it, at our lives like that, then, then maybe we need to remind ourselves what Ephesians 5.1 says. It simply says this, imitate God in everything you do. So if that's true and it is, then we have to ask ourselves, then, then if I'm supposed to imitate God, then how does God look at me? The answer is pretty simple. Don't miss this. He looks at us through Christ. Yeah. Thank God for that, right? Listen, that he's not staring at all of our junk and all our mess. I'm not saying that he's oblivious of our sin. Don't, don't get off track, okay? Don't, don't get out of balance. But, but I want us to know that he is looking at us through the redemptive work at the cross, Like he sees us, right, as a person who has been cleansed, as a person who has been forgiven. Like we thank God for the blood. He sees us as people who have been declared not guilty. He sees us as people who are already loved and accepted. He sees us as people who are already a part of his family. We are his children, right? That's how God's looking at us. And so this means that the key to loving ourselves isn't accomplished by you and I signed up for some self-help program that somehow tells us that we should think more highly of ourselves than we ought. What God is saying is, would you just simply come, get close enough to me so you can see yourself how I see you. Can you think about you the way I think about you? That's what he's inviting us into. All right. Hit your blinker. We're turning. Okay. (laughs) Isn't it funny that so many of us know what I'm talking about? Like, we know that. We know that, right? We've been in church long enough. We know it. But isn't it funny, even though we know that and we know what God thinks, that we still struggle to receive the love of God? Is it just me? Listen, as I've thought about how often that we struggle with this thing, you know, the love of God, I couldn't help to think about, man, that maybe we, you and I, resemble the older son that's found in Luke 15 more than we think we do. You know, so often when we, when we read the parable of the prodigal son, we focus on the prodigal son, and we forget about the older son. But you got to understand, Jesus mentioned both of them for a reason. And, and what I have found in life is that we may start off feeling like the prodigal, but then we slowly creep and we start acting like the older son, and we don't even know it. So if you're unfamiliar with the, the passage, let me give it to you really quick. We know that there's a father, he had two sons, And there came a day where the younger son said, basically, Dad, I'm tired of living on this stinking farm. He said, look, will you give me my inheritance? In essence, he was saying, look, Dad, I wish you would die so I could get what's mine. And his father graciously gave him the inheritance. And we know that he went out and he basically lived like he was going crazy, partying, doing all that stuff. He spent every penny that the father gave him, right? And we know that he ended up basically going to work at another farm, and he was handling pigs, which we know was the below the barrel for a Jewish guy. And it says that when he came to his senses, he finally said this. He said, you know what, I would be treated better in my father's house. And so he said, I'm going to return to my father and say, I'm not worthy to be your son. Will you just hire me like one of your other servants? And so it's that as he went, obviously the father saw him from a distance. The father ran to him. His father fell on him, hugged him, right, kissed him. And they gave him a robe. They gave him a ring, right? They gave him sandals. In other words, what happens? They restored him to sonship. That's when we all normally cry and celebrate. Oh, I know that feeling, right? But on the back 40, here's what was happening. And this is where I think that we slowly creep into as Christians and we're completely unaware that we land there. Let me read it to you. Here we go, starting in verse 25. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Now watch what happens next. Let's put ourselves in this if we can. It says, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slayed for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me and all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends yet when this son of yours comes back squandering your money on prostitutes you celebrate by killing the fattened calf now watch how the father because he's really jesus is talking about the father watch how he responds he says look dear son you've always stayed by me he says, in everything I have, and if I can insert it to this side of the cross, and all that I am is yours. Here's what I want us to notice, and here's what I think we get to, and we don't even realize it. it: is Notice how the older son's attention was so fixated on his performance. I've done all of these things. I've prayed. I've worshiped. i Are you all hearing me? And what's the next thing? Not only did he focused on his performance, but he got caught up in comparing himself to his younger brother. Well, at least I'm not like them. Right? So he was so caught up in fixating those areas that he completely missed the father's love that was always available to him. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah." yeah. See, listen, all he had to do was stop, pick his head up, and receive it. Like, love was literally standing right in front of him, but he was so blinded by his own self absorbance his own narcissistic ways, right, that he missed it. So, what I want to do quickly is if I can just extract a few things from that and give you some lessons that I've learned from the older brother, and I am continually learning from the older brother. So, if you're taking notes, let me give you a handful of things. You can jot these down really for two reasons, because I want us to be able to leave here today and and be in a better position to receive the Father's love, but I also want us to be in a position where we can actually start loving ourselves in a way that would honor Him, okay? Not honor you, but honor Him, okay? So let me give you, I think, three things that you need to stop and two things that we need to start, okay? Three things we need to stop, two things we need to start. First one is we need to stop performing, Like, I know I've been beating this drum. We're going to hit it again today, right? Because I have found that sometimes weeds grow back, all right? So we got to stop performing, and and here's why I say this. If our worth is determined by our performance, then when we fall short, we're going to feel like a failure, right? And when we do well, we're going to feel arrogant and self-righteous. So either way, here's the trap of being performance oriented. It's this, is that our worth, y'all hear me, our worth is determined by us, not him. And the only thing I keep thinking about is, man, is when we live in that way, in essence, we're diminishing what Jesus did on the cross for us. So listen, the way, at least in my mind, out of the performance trap is to remember that just as the father in the parable loved his two sons, despite their behavior, the father loves us. Like, we've been talking about this. Like, God's love for us doesn't change by our best effort, nor does it change by our worst effort. Like, His love is consistent, it's constant, it's unconditional. So instead of us magnifying all of our efforts, Jesus, look what I'm doing for you. Instead of magnifying all of that, how about let's try to magnify who He says we are. And as we magnify, how about let's rest in our God-given identity. Amen? So listen, in addition to that, like we all know that performance is always based off fear. I'm going to perform because I'm afraid of rejection. I am perform because I'm afraid I won't be loved, right? So we perform based off fear. Well, we need to remember that 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 tells us clearly that perfect love. Who's the only one that loves perfect? It's God, right? That perfect love casts out all fear. So there's nothing that the love of God can't defeat in your life. We're already loved, guys. Yeah? That's how we conquer the mentality is when we go to perform. Remember, because here's why this is so important. is because we need to do what we do for the right reason. Like, I just want to love God because I love God. Why do I want to live a pure life? Because I love God. Am I making sense? Why do I want to pray? Because I just love being with Him. Why do I want to read the Bible? Because I like being with Him. Why do I want to worship? Because I love being with Him. Like if we can get in that spot instead of understanding, like, man, as a Pharisees, I gotta check all these boxes, I gotta do all these things to somehow get more anointed, get more favor, get more blessing, get more just love him and let all that other stuff take care of itself. See, here's the core, guys, here's why performance has got to go out the door. Because you and I are not auditioning for a part of the family. Like We're not here to prove that we, that we have a seat at the table. No, 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 it's mine. I, I got a seat. No, no, just sit down. Yes. Just sit down and eat. Hallelujah. Right? Amen. Here's the second thing we need to do is we need to stop judging ourselves. We need to stop judging ourselves. In other words, uh, how can I say this? When I think about this, I find it really, really interesting that Anytime I sit down to train people, who, just people who want to go into ministry, typically I start off because I'm trying to get to know them. I say this, okay, you know, imagine there's a classroom full of folks. I say, okay, I want you to write down your top three strengths and your top three weaknesses. Write those down for me really quick, and then I just kind of get quiet and do my own thing, and I watch them. And here's what's so funny is most people can quickly rattle off one, two, three, sometimes they give you bonuses, four, five, six of their weaknesses, And then when it comes to the strength, anytime I'm saying who needs more time, right? They're never working on their weaknesses. They're always trying to figure out, I think I got one strength, maybe two. I'm not sure, right? Now, what's so funny is when you're in that moment, you know that people aren't trying to be humble. They're not trying to not act conceited. What's really happening is, is when you start talking to them, like, what's going on with you right now? You, you often find that they're so accustomed to focusing on their mistakes, on their inadequacies, their imperfections, their insecurities, that they've rarely stopped long enough to actually see the good that God has deposited in them. And what happens is if you keep pressing, you keep having that conversation leading them, you'll find out that, you know, after a while you're going ri- to arrive at this place called shame. That really why it's so easy to go weakness, 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 and they can't do something here is because they're so accustomed to living in a place of self-punishment and self-hate. See, this is important because of this. Y'all please hear me. In fact, if you don't hear anything today, hear what I'm about to say, okay? The reason this is so important is because the worse you and I feel about ourselves, the less likely we are to be healed. I'm talking about emotionally. Okay? And the less likely we are to find freedom, and the less likely we are to actually experience God's love and be fulfilled and walk in abundant life, right? But, but here's what I've learned. Watch this. Just as equal as that, if people are heavily focused on that, they're more than likely to actually relive, and not only relive here mentally, but they'll actually redo in their actions. They'll do, again, what the things that they already feel shameful about. And the only th- way I know how to say it to you today is this. It's like I've never seen in, you know, 27 years of being a Christian, if you take someone who's say, struggling with substance abuse and, and they're trying to get free, if you come to them and go, you know what, dude, I want you to know you're an absolute loser. You're a piece of trash. Like, why can't you get together? Do you not see you got a wife that loves you? Do you not see those three kids you got? Can you not see that you're ruining not only your life, their life? Like, when are you going to understand Right, like like whom Jesus has said is free is free indeed. Like when are you gonna understand this? Y'all look at me, even y'all feel the heaviness of that. What happens with that person when they're approached that way? Guess what they do? They keep on doing it. If you come to someone and you go, this, hey man, look, I know your life's a mess. I know you're struggling with some things, but man, I want you to know, listen, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. And there is a place of freedom in him if you let him bring you there. Here's really the real difference. That's sin conscience, if you can somehow make them God conscious, that's where freedom is found. Because they can't free themselves. Jesus has to. If you beat on everybody, they're gonna keep feeling like they're worthless and they'll never get out of. It. Am I making sense? So let me say this, I'm bring it to all of us here for a moment. I realize that there's not a single person in this room. More than likely, uh, that doesn't wish that they could, you know, hit the rewind button in some area of your life. Like if you could have a mulligan, if you could do it over again, right? And so, but I want you to know today that listen, you and I will never be able to move forward. Like we can't do that, like we can't hit rewind. We gotta keep living. So we'll never be able to go forward in Jesus if we keep trying to nail, you know, our old shameful stuff that was either done to us or that we did to ourselves. Like we'll never get free. And so, in fact, I want you to hear this verse, Romans 8. I know you can preach different ways off this verse, but hear it in the context of what we're saying. It says this in Romans 8, verse 1-2. It says, so now, somebody say now. now. So we're not waiting. Now, there is no condemnation, there's no guilt, there's no shame for those who belong to Jesus Christ. It says, and because you belong to him, because you're in the family, because you're loved, guess what? The power of the life giving spirit, not religious spirit, not legalism. Listen, the life giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin of anything that's in your past, anything that you're wrestling with. Because why? All that stuff leads to death. He'll set you free from it so you can live in life. Like, we got to believe that. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Third thing we got to do is this is we need to stop comparing. Gotta stop comparing ourselves. The, the comparison game is so tricky, y'all, because if we affirm ourselves as someone who is, say, talented, right, smart, right, spiritual, dare we say handsome or beautiful, right? Then there's usually a comparison going on. Here's what I mean by that as we say this. You look at you look at this guy and you go, I'm more talented than him. And then you look at her and you go, I'm smarter than her. I'm, I'm more spiritual than her. And then you look over here and you go, I'm definitely better looking than them. <laughs> definitely. <sighs> or watch this. On the flip side, I'm not as talented as him. Man, I'm not as smart as her. She's definitely, she's definitely got something I'll have. She's way more spiritual than me. I'm I'm uglier than all those people. (laughs) Am I making sense? Listen, we do that so much, we do it subconsciously. We are constantly trying to find our worth by walking around and trying to build ourselves up through tearing someone down. Or we're losing our worth because we're tearing ourselves down by trying to build somebody else up. It's not Jesus. Right? Right? I just think this. It's like, if we stop and go, okay, where does that come from? Here, I'll get really vulnerable with you guys, okay? I do this to help you hopefully get vulnerable yourself. Like, why do I hate it when somebody says, man, that dude preaches really well, talking about somebody else? Wonder what they think about my preaching. Am I making sense? So, you know, find whatever you're passionate about. And it's funny, man, it's like, like you can feel like you're born to do something. And if somebody else says something, a compliment to somebody else on the other side of the world, you automatically go in a hole and you feel like you're a loser. <laughs> Isn't it so dumb? Now, you can do that in a hundred different ways. Somebody can say, oh, you look nice today. Well, what about yesterday? Right, that's why I've learned. If you know, tell my wife. I don't say, "Hey, uh, you look good in that shirt or dress." I say, "Hey, that shirt or that dress looks good on you, <laughs> fellas." I just saved your life. <laughs> all right. See, at the end of the day, what's happening in those moments is, is, is all that comparison that stems from a lack of self-esteem. That, that if you keep going, it's this is man, I really don't know if I'm loved and I really don't know if I'm valuable and I really don't know if I have worth. I think the next time that, that we want to run that comparison game, right? And you'll do it before you leave here today. But if we can remind ourselves what Jesus says, Psalm 139 says this. This is David in response to how he saw what God did with him. He said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Right, and I love what Psalm 139 says. It says, how precious also are your thoughts to me. O God, if I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. Here's the point that is trying to be made there is that God doesn't want you and I to go through our lives filled with self-hate and insecurities. Right? Because why? Because, Because those verses suggest that when God created us, he created us perfect in his eyes. Amen. And listen, He thinks well of us, and He has given us every gift and every part of our personality and all those things that we need to fulfill the purpose that He has in our lives, that He did not make a mistake. So the next time you go look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, remember the Father didn't make a mistake, right? And so I, I think today, if you can hear my heart, that there's nothing wrong with recognizing that and being grateful for it. I mean, was that not what David was doing? I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We all celebrate that verse, but you could also go, man, you're arrogant. No, he was just being grateful, right? And so the bottom line is this, if y'all can hear this, is that God never gives you and I permission to hate ourselves. But he always gives us permission. In fact, he commands us to love ourselves. Amen. Here's the fourth thing. We, we talked about what we need to stop. Let's talk about what we need to start we need to start loving where we're at. We need to start loving where we're at. If you're wired like me, this is not easy. B- because because I'm, always, I'm always evaluating my life, where I want to grow, what I want to change, uh, you know, where I'm failing here, where I'm failing there, where I'm trying to get like, man, it's nonstop. Like I'm super hard on myself. So this isn't an easy one for me. But, but I think if we're going to love ourselves, then we need to start loving where we're at. And what I mean by that is I don't mean that we get comfortable in our sin. And, and I don't mean that we, we let ourselves off the hook for our future spiritual growth and development. What I mean by loving where we're at is where we say this, I am content and I am submitted to the journey that Jesus has me on. And so while I may look at my life and go, you know what, I, I don't love everywhere I've been, right? I certainly love what he's changed in me. Right, and I love where I'm headed and I love where I'm becoming. Right. So at the core, what we're saying is when you say you love where you're at, it's all about being patient with ourselves through the process. Like, what's the first characteristics in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? It says, Love is patient. Think about that. God is love, so God is patient with you, with me, with our development, our growth. He hasn't turned his back on us yet. Listen to this verse, 1 Corinthians 15. I think this is what Paul was talking about. He said, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecute the church. I don't have to love everything back there. Right? Watch this, verse 10. says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That was him loving where he was at. And then he said this next part. He said, and his grace to me has not been in vain. Thank God for that. Like if we could live in a way that we would say, Lord, I don't want one ounce of your grace to be wasted on me. Right? But I understand, like Paul was saying, is that I'm at where I'm at today because of the grace. And guess what? The same grace that got me here is the same grace that's going to help me keep moving forward in the future. Amen? Here's the fifth thing that we need to do. For some of y'all, you need to start it. For some of you guys, you just need to keep doing it. But we need to start communing with God. Yes. If I can say it this way, keep nurturing your relationship with God. Yes. See, one of the greatest acts of love toward ourselves is to spend time building a relationship with the one who is love. Yes. Right? So when that relationship with the God of love is solid, when it's solidly in place, the giving and receiving of love will never feel forced or awkward. Can I hit pause and say something I need to say right now? I need to say this for somebody. L- listen, I remember when I was when I was twenty-one years old, and um, I pulled out of the church on Dunn Road, in North Carolina, and I went to the stop sign of, of the intersection of of uh, you know Dunn Road and 24 and, and I took a right and I went to go drive over the Cape Fear Bridge. I remember having this conversation with the Lord uh, about man I just want to be married. I just want to I just want somebody to enjoy my life with Jesus. And I remember as I drove across that bridge having a strong impression from the Lord as he began to speak to me and said Quentin you do realize that no woman will ever complete you. This is for somebody y'all oh, listen. And no woman will ever complete you. What you are looking for of that place of peace and joy and love and safety, in essence, what you're looking for is only found in me. And that's the moment, thank God, that I realized that even though God gave me a wife and he gave me kids and all that, I realized today at the end of the day, they are not my source of love. He is. And as long as I'm looking to other people to be my source of love, I'm going to be a miserable, disappointed, upset person because nobody in this world can make you happy. Only Jesus can. That was free. Okay. All right. So listen, let me, let me get back on track here. I'm paused, right? It is that when, when, when you and I get close to Jesus, what happens is, is when we get that close, we start hearing his voice affirming us who he's called us to be, that we hear you're the beloved, right? And so I can tell you from experience, if you can imagine this, as if the love of God was a massive waterfall, at the end of the day, that waterfall was going way before you were ever born and it's gonna go way on after you die, right? It's gonna go all for eternity. And the thing is, is the moment that you and I got saved, God gave us a place in that waterfall of love to receive it. But here's what I know is that, guess what? We have the choice to stay there Please hear what I'm about to say. Here's what I've learned in my years of walking with Jesus, is that when I, it's as, as one of those things I'm like, I don't know why I do it, but when I do it, when I go, I'm going to perform for Jesus. I do this, and I step out of the waterfall. And then I'll oh, and I start worshiping, praying, okay. And then that, that tendency to want to judge myself and be critical with myself And then something will happen. Okay. And then I start comparing myself. I'm not stopping the flow. He's not changing who he is. But I'm removing myself from what he's trying to do in my life. Am I making sense? So if we could see the fact that as we, that literally we have the ability to step in, step out. And I'm telling you, life is a lot more fun if you just stay there. Right? If we can stay there, fellas, we'll be a much better husband. We'll be a much better dad. Ladies, you'll be a much better wife, much better mom. We'll be a whole lot better at being sons and daughters, a lot better at being friends. Because why? Because I can't, if I live here, what am I going to give? Compare yourself? Judge yourself? Judge yourself? But if I live here, then what happens is that stuff starts splashing off of me. Amen. I'll preach myself happy. Amen. Yeah, I just think it's this. If we can stay there, it'll wash all that other stuff off of us. All those old mindsets. Amen. Can you stand to your feet? Candace is going to come. Candace is going to pray. Candace just found out. Here's my prayer for you and me today. Because I got to be honest with you. Like, it's good for me to hear all this again and think about this again. So I hope it's been good for you is that, that my prayer today, she can pray whatever she wants, but my prayer is that God would help us to love him, to love others, and to love ourselves, and to receive love from all three. It's that simple, God, that you would teach us how to do that. It doesn't matter if we've been walking with Jesus for a week or if we've been with him for 150 years. There's probably room to grow somewhere in there. Amen? Amen
1: so god we just thank you for the word that has been brought to us today father we know that it came um, not yes through a man but it came from you it came from your heart and god we receive that word father and we thank you that it would be planted and rooted that it would bring life and life more abundantly father that we would really know the height the depth the width of your love for us, Father, that we would make a choice today because you're not going to force us under the waterfall of your love, but that we would make the choice today and here on out to step in and to continue in that place. And Holy Spirit, Thank you for nudging us when we step out, for making us aware of, Oop, you're stepping into that comparison. Oh, you're stepping into judging. Oh, that's not, don't say that about yourself. Holy Spirit, that you would just nudge us and we would be quick to step back in. And also, during this week and the rest of today, that you would reveal, we know when we ask you, Holy Spirit, reveal any lies that have been rooted, that we've believed about ourselves that we have believed about who we are, that goes against your love for us, that goes against your truth of who we are and you, that you would reveal those things to us so that they can be uprooted, so that they can be replaced with your truth as you reveal those lies. Thank you for speaking your truth so that we can truly walk in who you've called us to be, so we can really see ourselves the way that you do. So, Father, we bless the person on our left and our right, everyone in this room. We bless them to know the love of God and to walk in your fullness. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week, and God bless.